0: Um, it's so good to have you in front of me and be opening God's Word together. We're going to be in the book of 1 Kings this afternoon, and so if you've got your Bibles with you, we're to, we'll look at it in just a moment, but we're going to be in 1 Kings in chapter 17, and there's this incredible moment in 1 Kings 17. I mean, actually, 1 Kings is is brilliant. Uh, we actually were looking at some other examples um, a couple of weeks ago from, from Kings, from 2 Kings, but... 1 Kings has so many incredible moments of God's goodness. And we have this moment in 1 Kings 17 where we read about the prophet Elijah um, and this widow, and both of whom are very, very different. We have this widow from this small town that's hardly ever mentioned. I think it's mentioned once or twice in Scripture apart from um, this. And we have Elijah, um, both of whom very different, but both of whom are experiencing their very own lockdown the very own time of isolation. And what we see is that apart from the things that um, uh, make them different to one another, there is something that unites them and that is loneliness. And I think if I am talking about loneliness, some of you are probably uh, feeling the weight of that. Uh, We have been through a time where we couldn't go to things, where we couldn't connect with one another, where we were um, shut away often from families and um, from each other and from friends and from special people in our lives. And And that has a deep effect on us, has a deep effect on us. We know that uh, it's picked up in scripture and we're going to look at that, but we also know from a study last year that COVID has had a profound impact on the way that people are feeling. And so if we go back to a previous study, one in three people between uh, 2001 and 2009 experienced an episode of loneliness. So that's one in three But if we look at COVID, a study last year found that 54% of respondents reported feeling more lonely um, than they did at the start of the pandemic. They then tracked these participants over time and they found that in April of 2020, so you might remember that was kind of when we first hit lockdown, that 46% of people reported feeling lonely in the last week. In May 2020, November, and then January 2021, about 38% of people, and this is from a, an ANU study, 38% of people um, experienced loneliness. And do you know the group that it hit the most profoundly? It was spread, but the group that it hit the most profoundly, the highest level of loneliness, was in people 18 to 24 across those periods. Now, I'm not for a second suggesting it was only those people, the study showed that it really was spread, but it found particularly that loneliness particularly impacted those younger people. And when you read something like that, knowing the world that we live in, it kind of surprises you, doesn't it? Because who is the most digitally connected? That generation. Who has, uh, you know, it, it just live with mobiles attached to their hands and um, have got the contacts of people that they've met and that they haven't met and, you know, are communicating with people online constantly. It is often that generation. But what we see in more and more in a digitally connected world, that while digital connection is increasing, as social connection both inside and outside of pandemics decreases, that people miss that genuine Uh, That sincere connection that comes with being in community, with sitting with people, with sharing meals together, with being in church, with serving on teams together, with all of those kinds of things. But there is hope. I don't want to paint a a grim picture and leave you walking out of here thinking, gee, wish we could be locked down again and go back to church online because I can skip when he starts (laughs) talking about stuff like that. But let's get into God's Word, and as we do, let's um, pray. Lord, as we open your Word together today, we thank you for the life that it breathes into our soul. Lord, we thank you that it's your very voice speaking and shaping us. Lord, make us receptive for what you're saying. Make us receptive for what we're going to encounter and help us to apply it to our lives so that we walk out of here, not the same, but we walk out of here changed. Amen. So let's look at 1 Kings 17 and verse 7. It says this, Some time later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. If we look really quickly, I mean, we could do a whole another sermon on this, but if we look really quickly at the context of this passage, just the passage before, the chapter before, Elijah has gone to, um, uh, we're reading about Ahab, and Ahab the king we read in chapter 16, um, and they'd had some shocking kings, but Ahab apparently, according to the text, was the most corrupt king of all. Um, And if you were worried about Ahab, all you had to do was hear about his wife, Jezebel, and it was even worse. You see, they were both rampant in idolatry. Uh, They were, uh, Jezebel in particular was this adherent and this preacher of Baal. They were tracking down and chasing out God's prophets and murdering them. Um, And their reign was horrific for the nation, for the people. And you see, Elijah had a tough gig. Because because they uh, refused to, to listen to God's word, to hear God's um, command to them, God had raised up these prophets and effectively had placed them over the king. Now, kings don't like that. But Elijah's role as a prophet was to go and to call them back to God, was to go and, and try and pull them back to God and to his word. But as you can imagine, they didn't really like that. And so in chapter 17, in verse um Sorry, in the first verse we just read, uh, in uh, verse 7, it says, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So sometime later. So just before that, in verse 1 of that passage, Elijah has gone to Ahab and he said this, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. You see, Elijah had gone to him and he had said as... Uh, The Lord as as Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, as he lives, unlike your Baal, Baal, as he is Lord, uh, the God of Israel. As he lives, you can understand these challenging things for the king to hear, that God is going to take from you the most precious commodity or resource you have, which is water. You are not going to have that for a few years, and it won't come back, not until you as king say, but I as prophet say. Again, you can imagine how confronting this is for a king to hear that his word really counts for nothing, that his God is not the God of the nation that he is leading, but in fact Yahweh, the covenant keeping God, uh, is over all of them. And so here we find at the start of our text, we find Elijah at the brook. And it starts to dry up. You see, God's been providing for him miraculously there. But just like the people, Elijah is not spared from the consequences of Ahab and Jezebel and and their idolatry. And so he experiences those same consequences, but he also experiences the provision of God. So imagine you've gone to the king, you've said something incredibly unpopular um, and then you've been by a brook by yourself being fed by ravens and um, lapping up that last bit of dirty water that is starting to dry from the creek. And so God continues the provision just as it had come through the brook and through the ravens. He continues it now through someone who is just or something that is just as unlikely as being fed by birds and that is in the middle of a drought being fed by a widow. And so Elijah is told by God, go to Zarephath in Sidon and there a widow will provide for you. And so he gets up and he goes, and it kind of sounds simple, doesn't it? But we have to remember that the town of Zarephath was actually 160 kilometers away from this brook where he was. Now, in the ancient world, that is a journey. Like, I mean, I am a shocking driver because as soon as I get about 20 kilometres out of Canberra, I start feeling like I'm going to fall asleep. And so Cindy always has to drive. I sleep until Goulburn and then I'm good to go. Um, But a four-hour journey for me is like I'm having a nap. Um, But he, you know, so that's that's challenging for me. But Elijah has 160 kilometres to travel without our modern luxuries. And he has to walk this gruelling journey. But the other thing to note is that the town of Zarephath is actually not in the Promised Land. It's in Sidon, we're told, Um, and the king that rules over Sidon is actually Jezebel's father. So he's told, leave the promised land, leave this area where you reside, this nation, and go across it, remembering you're the most unpopular person in this land because you're the one responsible for the drought, and go to this other town, this small town where I'm sending you uh, that is governed and overseen by somebody who probably really doesn't like you. And yet, he gets up and he goes. And I think that's really a remarkable thing because I wonder what you would do. I, know I wonder what I would do. You know, if God said something like that, that in all natural senses just sounded crazy, I wonder what you would do, whether you would, like Elijah, get up and go. And so he hears God's word and he goes. And we see in verse 10 that he arrives at Zarephath and as he approaches the city gate, straight away, he sees this. He sees a widow there gathering sticks and he calls to her, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink and bring me some bread. I think, it's, I mean, you just you just got to marvel at God's hand. As Elijah arrives, so this widow that God has provisioned to provide for Elijah, is there too at the, at the gate and she's gathering these sticks. It, what an incredible thing it is. And so she then says to the, this to his reply, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything. I've got a little bit of flour. I've got a little bit of oil. I'm gathering up sticks that I might go home, that I might make effectively our last meal and that my son and I will die. Now, it's easy for us to think that she's being a little bit over the top, she's being a bit dramatic, that she's exaggerating, but there's nothing in the text to suggest that that's the case. And there's everything to suggest that she literally has nothing left. That because of the drought, probably, because she's a widow, most definitely, she has nothing. She's got no capacity to earn more, to buy more. And you can just imagine that over time, imagine the weight of loneliness as as the world is happening around you and you're looking at this little bit and you're seeing over the days it get less and less and less until that little bit turns into really nothing. And now there's no more hope. And she heads out on that last day to gather sticks so that she can make that fire and have their last meal. Now, I can't comprehend that. Uh, It's so far outside of my experience of Um, feeling like I've always got plenty. There's always been food on the table. I know some of you will have been on journeys where that hasn't been the case and you can probably sympathise to a much greater degree with the story of this widow. But imagine the weight of loneliness as she goes out that last day. But instead this incredible thing happens that we read in the text For it says to us that Elijah speaks to her and tells her that it won't run out, that the jar of flour won't be used up, that the oil won't run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land, until the day that the rain starts to fall and the provision can happen from the natural landscape, God is going to miraculously provide for you, Widow. We don't know her name, but Elijah speaks that. I wonder what you'd say, and I want you to think for a moment. You're out there, you're gathering up, your last meal. And now this guy approaches a foreigner to the land and he approaches you and he asks you to give him effectively the last meal that you've got. Like, I mean, many people probably wouldn't give any meal uh, to a dirty, smelly, probably stranger who approaches on the road, but he's asking for the last meal. I wonder if you'd say, get lost, mate. No way. Didn't you just hear me? What is wrong with you that you would ask me? I'm a widow. I'm not the one who is supposed to provide for you. You should be providing for me. But her response is incredible because she hears that and she goes and she does it. And I'd suggest to you that it's, it's probably because of two things. Death is staring her in the face. This is literally her last meal. There is nothing else. There is not a can of tinned food that's fallen behind the fridge. There is literally nothing else. This is it. So death is staring her in the face. And the second thing is God's promise is ringing in her ear. And I would say to you that that's probably not that different to today. Because people can refuse to accept God's promises They can say it sounds ridiculous, it sounds absurd, this idea of eternal life, but what do we know? What is ringing in every human's ear is that the end will come at some point, that there's no getting around it, that there is no Indiana Jones movie where you can find the Holy Grail and you can um, drink from the fountain of youth and you can live forever in the natural sense, that that doesn't exist And so with that, we're staring us all in the face. What do I have to lose but from taking a chance on the promises of God? From saying, well, God, if there is something more, if there is forgiveness of sin, if there is life eternal, what have I got to lose? Because the other option isn't particularly great. And so she says, uh, so she has this uh, resounding in her ears, this promise from God of his miraculous provision. And so she goes away and she does as Elijah tells her. And it happens exactly like he said. The jar of oil doesn't run out and the jug, sorry, jug of oil and the jar of flour, neither of them run out. And as a little side note, I, I find it incredible that they have to, every day, get up and trust God's provision. This isn't um, storerooms now of stuff. This is not jar after jar after jar of oil. And we read that in, in scripture. It's literally, they're just relying on God's word for two years, every single day, getting up, trusting that God's promises are true. Trusting that he will do what he's promised to do. Trusting his provision, not in a season of plenty where it's much easier to trust God's provision perhaps, but trusting God's provision in a season of struggle, in a season of challenge. And what an incredible, miraculous moment that is for both of them. Elijah goes on this journey of, of, of true, I guess, developing and, and uh, developing his trust of God, and, and this widow encounters this miracle-working God, not this idol of Baal, but a God who is alive, Jehovah-Jireh, a God who provides. And so what could we take out of this? There's lots of application. I mean, you could read this and look at it in so many different ways. We could look at it and we could say, what does it take for us to act on God's word? Would we be as faithful as Elijah and be told to go and to go? Is it that we sometimes should be challenged that we limit God's capacity based on how helpless we feel? What God worked through a widow. The most fragile, the most, uh, uh, I guess, risky um, person in, in ancient society to be was a widow. We can ask ourselves, have I learned to trust God's provision? Have I, in the midst of, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, lives of, of plenty, on global standards, have I learned to trust in the provision of God? Or we could look at it and we could look at how incredible it is that God sets up these miraculous connections. These most unlikely of connections, that he uses the most unlikely of people. And we see that in scripture, don't we? That often it is not the kings or the people who have trumped themselves up as being important and being significant, but God, more often than not, chooses the lonely, chooses the outcast, chooses the one who society looks past. And what an incredible thing that is. But I want to challenge you as we. Uh, wrap up in a few minutes today. I want to challenge you with something different. I want to challenge you with something different. You see, the pattern of Scripture is so much like this story. See, God works through the unlikeliest of people in the most unlikely of places. But God also has something to say about loneliness, about being alone, about being uh, fragile, about feeling like an outcast. You see, we saw a few weeks ago in the story of Hagar the way that God has a heart for people who are on the fringes of society. If you didn't watch that message, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it, but it's the first time in Scripture that God um, speaks to directly to a single parent. It's the first time that God speaks to someone like Hagar, and it's an incredible story. But Jesus, we see it through the Gospels as well. We see that Jesus um, time and time again goes to the lonely person. Uh, You see that he goes to the lady at the well. You might know that story, she's drawing water in the middle of the day because she is uh, despised by the people because of a sin, and Jesus goes to her and drinks with her and meets with her and radically changes her life. You might know the story of the tax collector so despised by people, so short and unable to penetrate the crowd that he climbs a tree, and what does Jesus say? Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to meet with you today. You might know the story of blind Bartimaeus who's by the roadside and he hears this commotion and he cries out for Jesus. And what happens? The crowd pushes him away and yet Jesus stops the crowd and blind Bartimaeus has this miraculous encounter with him. What about Jesus' own story? What do we see in the story of Jesus? We see a deep... Loneliness at times, don't we? He's rejected by his family, he's rejected by his hometown, his disciples, a number of them desert him when he needs them the most. And here he is crying out on the cross, feeling completely forsaken. And so if that's something that speaks to you today, I want to leave you with these two things, that if you're firstly, if you're lonely, God cares for you. The writer of Hebrews puts it so beautifully like this in Hebrews chapter 4 says uh, in verse 15 the high this high priest of ours understands our weakness for he faced all the same testings we do yet he did not sin so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious god there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most what an incredible passage Jesus knows your challenge Go to him. It's not some glib throwaway saying, don't be lonely because, you know, Jesus loves you. I mean, that's a a nice thing to say and it's totally true, but it's more than that because Jesus um, offers to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, this immeasurable grace, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the offer of peace in each season that surpasses understanding. But he also offers us something practically in the community that you find when you connect with the body of Christ. Because it is more than that. When you come, the richness of community, what we've all longed for during lockdown, the fact that you can come, that you can know people and that you can be known, that you can serve and that you can be served, that you can connect with people who are younger, older, from different backgrounds, from different cultural backgrounds, but together we are the body of Christ. Together we are on this journey together. Together we are seeking to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of Christ. And the second challenge I want to present to you this afternoon I want to put to you is do you look for lonely people? It's probably a strange question. I remember when Gracie started kindy a number of years ago, when I was saying to her um, uh, uh, at the end of one day, who'd you play with? And she was rattling off some names, and she'd had this great day playing with this other group of, of girls in kindy in her class. And I said to her, did you see anyone lonely? And she kind of thought for a minute, and she said, oh, I, I don't think so. Um, and I said to her, tomorrow, in the midst of your game, You'll be having a great time, and I want you to keep having a great time. But in the midst of your game, look out. Have a look out. Look out for lonely people. Because we are a family who look out for lonely people. And I want to ask you that same question. I've had some more time to process and think about it over the last couple of weeks, so I'm not going to expect you to answer at the end. But I wonder when was the last time you saw a lonely person. I wonder when was the last time that you noticed them. Because we know that they're there, right? We saw that from the stats at the start that probably during this lockdown, if last lockdown was anything to go by, one in three, roughly, of the people in your workplace, in your neighbourhood, in your building or in your street have had this time of loneliness over this last season. We know that loneliness isn't just about lockdowns either from that previous study which showed during a non-pandemic world that loneliness was there. And so I want to challenge you, just like God's heart is for lonely people, is your heart for lonely people too? Do you echo the heartbeat of God? Because we have the words of life that come to us through God's word. We have the opportunity to speak the promises of God, to declare the promises of God into people's stories, into people's lives, to have that, just like it did for the widow, resound in their ears, in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of despair, and in the midst of loneliness to speak life. And what a mighty challenge it is, but what an incredible privilege it is to be known of God, to be called, to be connected with the body and to be someone charged, called to speak life and to speak God's promises. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for these... And stories that come to us from a world that seems so different to ours, a time such a long time ago, and yet that speaks eternal truths of who you are. And Lord, when we open your Word, we are seeking to know you more, to understand you more. And what we see through this passage is that you have a heart, that you have a care for those who are lonely, for those who are struggling. Lord, just like you did for Elijah in this miraculous provision that came through the widow, but just like for the widow and her son, who were provided for miraculously because of your goodness, but also encountered a God who is alive. They encountered Yahweh, the covenant keeping God. And Father, we pray that you would um, use us this week to look out for people who are lonely. Lord, that you would give us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, insight into people in our workplaces, into people in our streets, into people in our neighbourhoods, Father, who are lonely and who are seeking. Lord, that you would give us wisdom to know what to say, Father, and in speaking the promises of God, that their lives would be touched and be changed by you. Father, we know that that's a challenge that takes courage and it takes boldness. And so, Lord, that you would uh, give us what we need, that you would be with us, that it would be not through our own might, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in your name. Amen.